to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And um, like I said, the book of Daniel is divided into two parts. Um, you know, the first part is historical narrative. It tells us what was going on during the exile. Uh, what was Daniel going through? Um, what, were, what were some of the other exiles going through? What were some of the kings? You know, what was their life and, and, and their role in things? And so it, it told us about that. The second part uh, is about Daniel's visions concerning the end times. You know, and the good thing is, is we've got a little bit of that through Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Um, we saw some of that, that kind of information already. Uh, and, and so we are a little used, at least a little used to seeing some of this already in this book. Um, and you know, the thing that's, that's interesting is the world has always been interested in the end times. Whether it be the literature or now like movies, television shows, things like that, the world is very, very interested in end times things. However, many Christians have been afraid to really dig into uh, some, of these, some of these books. So the end of Daniel, some parts of Ezekiel, some parts of Revelation. Christians have sometimes been afraid to, uh, to, to really get into these relevant passages. And there are a few things that we need to know uh, going into this part of the book so that we're not afraid or we're certainly not misled. So these are a couple of things that are true about ultimately all biblical prophecy. Okay, so end times prophecy in the Bible is given as a comfort for those who follow the Lord. We must remember that. Um, the, the reality is, you might ask the question, is some of the things that you read in the Bible terrifying? And the answer is absolutely yes, but only if you are not a follower of God. If you are a follower of God, what you might see is that there are hard times ahead. But we always are given a vision past those difficult times to what God is going to do after that. And so, yes, we might have some difficult times, but we have a hope and we have redemption. Whereas if you read some of these end times prophecies and you do not have hope in Jesus Christ or trusting in the Lord, then, then all you can see is the bad news and the horrible things. And so that's one thing that's very important for us to remember is that this is given as a comfort to us. Most end times material uh, is written in the genre of apocalyptic, which is a style that uses vivid imagery to convey a more direct point. The Bible does not corner the market on apocalyptic literature. It was out there. Um, you, you might almost liken it to the comic books uh, of, of our era, where, where it, is, it is this kind of vast imagery of, of things that are happening, but underneath is an undercurrent of story that is going on. And so when you read the apocalyptic works in the Bible, so the, this part of Daniel and his dreams, certainly some of the things in Revelation where there's like, animals that, that are kind of merged together and they represent something, those kinds of things. It's not to be understood literally. Um, it would be almost the same thing if you were reading it, trying to interpret it literally. It would be like getting a forecast that says the stars are going to fall down, um, the, the, the moon is going to be blacked out, and then blood is going to fall from the sky uh, in the south, but the rest of the country is going to be sunny and slightly cloudy. That would be weird to try to take all of that together and say, okay, so we see that we have to take all this literally. So the way that you study apocalyptic is you look at what the images represent, um, and then ultimately you try to figure out a little bit about what God is saying, or you try to figure out exactly what God is saying. And, and then if there are some things that you can make connections to, you do that. But we have to remember and understand prophecy is never intended to give us a timeline. 
That's never the goal is to say this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. That's not been God's way or God's plan ever to tell us exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to occur. What we have to look for is ultimately what's phase one? Well, phase one is normally bad news. And it's, it's, it's bad news because of what humanity does. And it's also bad news because of what God's response to humanity's sinfulness is. But then as we get into the other phases, we begin to see God's actions and we begin to see God's redemption of mankind. So that's how we have to look at apocalyptic. It is visually appealing or at least stimulating, but the, the, the message is behind the images. And so trying to focus on the images too much... Um, and and, and in this passage, I'll point out some examples. Trying to focus on it too much will get us looking at the wrong sort of thing. Trying to get too deep in this specific passage will cause us to miss the meaning entirely. So in this particular passage, there is a lion with eagle's wings, and then it's made to stand up on two legs, and it's given the mind of a man. So if you try to look at all the kingdoms in the world and say which kingdom started out like a lion with eagle's wings and then eventually it stood up and had the mind of a man, how do you get to that? And so if we spend our time focusing on what that beast represents, we're going to totally miss out on what God was actually trying to say. And so that's the point of this is that we look for the message, not the meaning of every particular image. And then we know that the only way that God can give these prophecies is that he has full control over the outcome of this world. So that's the other thing about biblical prophecy. God can't tell you what's going to happen if he doesn't know and if he isn't in control. And so that is another layer of comfort for us. The fact that God can tell you the way that it's going to go is because he's in control. He has that authority over the world so that he can, he can give us this information. So that's all very important for us to remember as we go into prophecy because there are some things in here that make it seem like it's going to be really, really bad. And, and that's not to say that there won't be difficult and challenging times for believers ahead. But what we need to remember is that God's in control. He has a plan that goes beyond the bad things to get us to the very, very good things that he has in mind later. So uh, the sermon in the sentence really is very simple. Nothing new here. Um, It just says strange and terrible things will happen along the way, but Jesus is coming back and he will be victorious. We see those things abundantly clear. We know that there are going to be these challenges, and, and, and it's, we know that, that all the things that's happened in the world, and if, you, if you're a student of history, you know there's been some pretty terrible things that have happened in the past, it may get worse. But there's coming a day when Jesus will return, and then everything will begin to be set right. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage to you. It's the, it's the entire chapter, chapter, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 through 28, Okay. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and the four great beasts came out, came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion that had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and it 
had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw the night after this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped, stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little another horn, a little horn before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in, justice, in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked, and then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire." As for the rest of the beasts, their dominions were taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The Son of Man, uh, uh, that was the heading, uh, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, and there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked... This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces." 
As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise from them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay, so as we get into this, the first thing obviously that sticks out is the vision of these monsters. What are these? What, what, do, they, what do they mean? How, what do they represent? So let's look into it just a little bit. So we have to notice that the, the time frame does shift back. Remember, we were already dealing with Darius, the Medes and the Persians, and now we're stepping back in time to the first year of Belshazzar, who was the king after Nebuchadnezzar. So we're stepping back in time. Um, this is before the Medes and the Persians come on the scene. So Daniel is lying in bed and he has a vision that starts with a disturbed sea. The, 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 the four winds begin to disturb the sea and that's kind of how this begins for him. And so in Old Testament times it's important that we remember that seas and oceans seem to be a place of chaos for people. It was a place of death. Now we don't think of the oceans as deadly but in those days they did. And so that was the place where it was like disrupted and, and chaotic and if there were evil and if there were beasts that's where they were going to come from from. So the ancient stories about the Leviathan, the four-headed sea beast and things like that, all of that was in the sea. And so this was where Daniel saw all of this begin is there in the seas. And so he watches as four beasts come out of the water, each more fearsome than the last. Obviously this is, this is troubling and it would have been troubling for Daniel and it can be troubling for us. So let's look at these, these different beasts and see what we can see about them. The first of the unholy beasts was a, was a lion with, with eagle's wings. So it was actually technically an unclean mixture to have a beast of the earth and then a bird of the sky mixed together. So they wouldn't have had, you know, um, as far as Jewish thought, they would not have even had a, a, a beast of the field and any form of, of, of bird mixed together. That would not be, un, that would be not that would be unclean for them. So you have this lion, and obviously the lion is a supreme predator. When we think about the, the, the lion, it, it is unrivaled as far as enemies go, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one sort of basis. Um, but then when we think of the eagle, ultimately the eagle is also a predator. And so you've got the blending of two predators here. That's, that's what we get to begin with is that. And then it seems like this beast is humbled because its wings are plucked off, but then it is stood up and it is given the mind of a man, which might be a, a upgrade, it might be something different. And so there, there's definitely a lot of imagery here in what does it mean, what does it indicate. Well, we're going to try to get into that in just a minute. But for now, let, let us just say that whatever this monster, whatever this beast is, it is powerful, deadly, and sophisticated. Okay, so the second creature 
is like a deformed bear. It says that it's a bear, but it's raised up on one side. So is it, is it somehow deformed with one larger side than the other? Is it more of a hunchback like Quasimodo? What is it? We don't really know what this bear is, but he has three ribs already in his mouth, which are from his last kill. That would be the presumable reason why the bear would be chewing on ribs. But he is told to rise up and devour. And so he is told to eat and, and to devour even more than what he has in the past. So, so this is, this is a, a, a killing machine, this, this, this bear really is. And so that's the picture of this bear, is that it is about murder, it is about mayhem. Now the third beast, uh, which was given dominion, um, it comes in the form of the speedy leopard with also four bird's wings. And so this, this leopard, already fast on the ground, can now fly to strike to wherever it's going, but even more terrifying is the fact that it has four heads. So they would have been positioned in such a way, most likely, to where the leopard could see or the beast could see from any direction. So there was no sneaking up. There was no surprises. The beast could see everything. It had full understanding of what was going on around it. It was fast and it was deadly. And it was given uh, dominion. And so this beast would rule wherever it was, this beast would rule. Okay, so when we look at those things, we, we, see, we see deadly but sophisticated. We see brute force, destructive, deadly with the bear. We see speed and, and almost omniscience with the, the leopard bird beast. And then the fourth beast. So Daniel has seen these three things. He sees the fourth beast and the fourth beast scares him. So even a man of the kind of faith and the kind of uh, certainty in the Lord that Daniel was, this fourth beast was different. And so one thing we can point out to begin with is that Daniel doesn't say the, first, the fourth beast was like any other kind of animal. And the reason that he doesn't say that is, is because it's not like anything that he's ever seen. So when he thinks about all the animals that he's seen, he looks at the fourth beast and it doesn't resemble anything. So what he does tell us, the iron teeth, the, the, the bronze claws, the fact that it stomps on anything that it doesn't already kill or destroy, this is a terrible and terrifying beast. So when we think about, when we think about things that, that you might could compare, so when we think about earth creatures now, things that are terrifying, um, you know, you think about alligators and and, and crocodiles, you might think, if you, if you want to think about back to dinosaurs, some of those things would be terrifying. But all of that pales in comparison to whatever it is that Daniel saw here. So this, this is not in the realm of what we can see or measure. This is something else entirely, a very terrifying thing. Now from reading the whole passage, we can recognize that, that this beast has something to do probably with the Great Tribulation because a lot of the language crosses over into Revelation where we see some of the same kind of language, the time, times, and half a time, things like that. So we don't want to jump to conclusions, but it's likely that this beast may in some way correspond with the beast at the end of times. And so we definitely don't want to jump to conclusions, but whatever it is, it is more terrible than anything that has ever been seen. And I think it's worth pointing out um, at, at this particular point, um, you know, people talk about how bad 2020 was and how terrifying and horrible uh, of, of a time that really was. Um, 
it's worth noting that the world has been much worse and much more horrible to live in in the past than it is right now. Uh, you, you can think about the way the world was when the Roman Empire fell. You know, the Roman Empire was this terrible thing because it, it killed and it enslaved and it, and it just took and took and took and took. But when they finally fell, when the, the Germanic tribes wiped them out, um, there was a light that went out. And so all around you had these things that the Romans had built that nobody knew how to maintain, nobody knew how to manage anymore. Um, but also there was there, the Romans, just like the Americans have tried to be, they were the world's police force. And so now at any given time, any tribe of barbarians from any place could strike and, and, and actually you know, take out villages, take out whole people, enslave them or, or just kill them and take their resources, whatever. There have been some really terrifying times to live. And even... When there is no organized power, it's, it's very scary. Whatever all of that was, and, and Daniel lived in times just like that, whatever all of that was, we're, we're better right now than that because we don't really have the fear of, of a warlord with, a, with a, you know, a, a group of raiders coming and taking our homes tomorrow. But it's going to get worse than even that. It's going to get worse than, than, than what that is before it gets better. And so we have to understand that whatever Daniel is seeing, for somebody that lived in ancient times and knew how fleeting life could be and how evil people could be, whatever this beast was, it was worse than all of those things. And so it's important for us to, to really gather that and to be sure that we understand that. But not only was this beast given dominion, and, and, and power and authority over all things, but it had a way to speak. It had a way to speak with, with, with intelligence, or at least to say great things. And, and so you can see, and if we do start drawing parallels between this and the beast in the end times, we know that the Antichrist is going to be a talker. He's going to be some kind of smooth salesman that convinces people of grand ideas, and, and then they go about them only to find out how terrible they really are. So we know that the Antichrist has that ability, so if this beast is, is connected to that, then we can understand what that is all about. The ten horns, the three falls off to, to, for the little one, all of those things kind of seem to connect to what we do know about the Antichrist. So what we have to remember is that this vision may be frightful in the beginning, um, but it's at this point that I want to point back to some of those rules that I talked about at the very beginning. Prophecy is given for our encouragement, our comfort, and our edification. So even though we're seeing this terrible thing, and, and, and I even probably escalated some of that fear a little bit, we've got to remember that this is given for our comfort. And so how? Why? How, does it, how is it going to comfort us? Well, we're going to have to get to that. Whatever monsters we encounter in the world, we must remember that God is in control and He will work out His plan for good. We have to remember that. So these monsters, what do they mean? What are the meanings of these monsters? So let's try to get into that. And so for that, as far as the, where I'm pulling this from, I'm actually kind of going out of order in this, in this chapter. So I, I, we read Daniel's vision, which is basically the first eight verses. Then we get a, a, a view into heaven. We see the Son of Man coming. And then Daniel begins to question a bystander, which is going to be an angel. So from verse 15, really down through the end of the chapters, where some of the, these ideas come from. So the immediate temptation for us is to try to identify these beasts with actual kingdoms of history. You know, when you think about speed, 
Nobody conquered more in less time than the Greeks. Alexander the Great, in like 10 years, he conquered as much as anybody ever did conquer. It was, it was really fast. It was really impressive. But the, the Persians were just as quick. Um, and, and while the Romans were not quite as fast, boy, were they brutal. So maybe they were the bear. But the Romans were so civilized and brought so much scientific learning, maybe, maybe they were one of the others. Maybe they were the, the, the lion-eagle men thing. Maybe they were whatever that was. So... You could, you could miss the point in a real big hurry by trying to identify these things. It does seem that this fourth beast corresponds to the, the, the beast in Revelation. But beyond that, we're going, to, we're going to really miss the point, I believe, if we try to dig into who the beasts are. Because when we think about it, that first one, the, the lion eagle, well, the eagle is, is, is our standard. It is our symbol. We think about the, the bear, well that's been the way that Russia has presented itself for so long. We think about China presenting itself as a dragon, that's not even represented here. So, so we, could, we could really look at modern kingdoms, we could look at ancient historical kingdoms, we could look all over, but, but that's not the point. And I'll tell you why it's not the point. Even when Daniel asks the angel, well, who are these, or, or what are these? The angel says that these beasts are kings that are given the ability to conquer, but the angel never identifies the, the, uh, the, the beasts while interpreting Daniel's vision. So the, the understanding of who the beasts are in correlation with the understanding the, the meaning of this vision, it's not important. So that's, that, that is helpful for us to notice. The angel himself doesn't identify the beasts. In fact, the angel is really only interested in the fact that the saints of the Most High will be given an everlasting kingdom after these days of the kingdom are over. So when he first begins to explain, he says, but the saints will be given this kingdom. God will, 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 will give them this kingdom and he will rescue them and, 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 and those things. And then later, when he asks specifically about the fourth beast and the horns and all of that, he does mention it, but then he says, but then the courts are held and everything is, 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 is settled according to God's plan. So the angel doesn't identify these beasts. And as we're receiving this interpretation, it's important for us to recognize that, that if God is not trying to help you understand who the beasts are, that must not be the point. What God is trying to help us understand is that he is in control. Ultimately, he is the authority. And at the end, there is a kingdom where Jesus Christ is the physical present ruler, we as the saints live together, we are without enemy, without threat, we are living victoriously. That's the picture that he is getting for us. So he does describe, the angel does describe a time of terrible testing for the saints. This fourth beast seems particularly interested in tormenting those that follow God. We won't say Christians because remember Daniel is an Old Testament book, although it really feels like we're at the end of the New Testament at this particular point. What we have to recognize is that from the beginning of, of God's people, it has been included in his plan that they would suffer for him. And so we should not be taken by surprise when we do suffer from him. We should understand that those are evil forces. God isn't making us suffer. They are evil forces that are enemies and hostile to God. But for a time and a season, God will occasionally allow his believers to suffer. And what we have to remember about this is that, that, that for us, we have to have faith in what God has in store afterwards. That's when we have to really look to what God has afterwards. Now, 
we, as we look at this, this first part of it, when we look at these beasts, it's important for us to remember we will always, and this world will always be ruled by beasts. That's, to me, actually a comfort. Because when, when I look at the world and I say, oh, the world leaders, and oh, the world leaders are bad, and they're, they're, they're not doing the right things, and they're not treating people the right way, and they're, they're wasting resources here, and they're, and, they're, and they're not spending their worth. All these things that I see that the world leaders are doing that are wrong, duh, they're beasts. God has ordained beasts to reign in this world because of the sin in this world. That's the way it's supposed to be. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan that said the most terrifying words you can ever hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help? We have to remember that we should not look to the agencies of man for our help. We should never be looking for assistance from the world because it's, it's, it's not good. It is not of God. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's America or if it's China or if it's the United Kingdom or if it's Ch China, or I've already said that. It doesn't matter. They're evil. All of the agencies of man are evil. They are beasts. They are controlled by these beasts. Don't be limited into thinking that there's only three great kingdoms or three great kings in all of the world. There's not. We are always going to be ruled by beasts. It's like a cycle that keeps going over and over again. If you were in Daniel's day, you might look at this and say, well, clearly, Nebuchadnezzar was that first beast. What's next? Is Belshazzar that next, or is it someone else beyond that? Who knows? But if you were in the New Testament and you were following Jesus around, and, and i got to think somebody, it may not have got recorded in Scripture, but i got to think somebody among the disciples said, hey, Jesus, you mind explaining Daniel chapter 7 to us? They wouldn't have referred to it that way, but you mind re-explaining re the visions of Daniel to us? I think Jesus would have had a response that was, was, was simplistic. The world is ruled by beasts. We see that now, but ultimately he is bringing a kingdom that will establish something for all saints to live in and ultimately to be safe. Now, we should not live in fear. We shouldn't even focus on the evil things that are happening. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin. That doesn't mean that, that we stand by while horrible things happen, but we don't need to focus on the fact, oh, this is this terrible thing. We don't need to be the doomsday sayers. We don't need to be that. Instead, our role is to live every day for the Lord and share our hope with anyone that will listen. That's the important thing for us is that we tell people why we have hope. There is a tendency for us to make too much out of our problems and not enough out of the solution that God is in control and He will never leave or forsake us. It is very easy for us to only see the problem. That's very human. And it's not something that, that, that as me, that I would criticize someone for. But it is something that as a Christian, we've got to remember there is a solution to our problems. There is an end answer, an answer that, that settles everything for us. That's what we need to focus on. We can't focus on the problems because ultimately there are a bunch of problems right now. Unfortunately, we live in a time when I think things are on the way back down. But we can't focus on that. We've got to focus on Jesus and our reason for hope. And then when we have that hope, we can share it with other people and explain it to other people. So now let's go back in the passage and let's look at this vision of the heavenly court that Daniel receives here. So he gets a glimpse into heaven. 
Now, there's been a couple of people in the Old Testament that got this, um, but he does see one of the most stunning and complete visions of God's authority and majesty that's recorded in Scripture, Old or New Testament. When he looks into heaven, he sees very clearly... You can't read that and not understand that the Ancient of Days that he refers to is God and he is in control. You, you cannot miss that if you read it understanding what it is. God is the ultimate judge and he practices judgment openly. This is a beautiful thing. There's thousand thousands serve him. Ten thousand times ten thousand are there to watch his justice. The power of mankind, the power of evil is, is secret. It's backroom deals. It's these things that happen behind the scenes and all of a sudden we're told the new way and the new marching orders. All of that secret behind the scenes stuff, that's not real justice. What God does before everyone is give true and real justice. All of the sins are put on the scale and righteousness is weighed against it and He rules justly. That's, that's what God's justice is all about. And so that's what we see in this, this picture. Now, in the Old Testament, traditionally, they do resist describing God or describing a scene with God. And, and we understand why. We understand that, that it has to do with the, the, the sins that, that, that people were pretty bad about of, of, of making some graven image and worshiping it. Um, and so a lot of times in the Old Testament, you don't get these visions in this kind of description. We do see it in Revelation. But here Daniel wants to put God on the throne and, and show people who he really is. At this time, the people, the exiles, remember they're still exiles in, in Babylon right now. They need to know that their God is, is, is true and real and in control. And so that's helpful for them. It's helpful for us also to remember. So the apocalyptic stuff, that, that took place through verse 8. When we read in verse 9 and 10, the vision of the court, it's, it's a different genre. This is a real description of God. And so that, that's what we have to remember here. So this really is God. So we do not serve a mythological God. He is real, He is powerful, and He is the ruler of all nations. That's what we must remember about God. So, so when Daniel looks to God... Those beasts and those things, that was apocalyptic. It was meant to, to send a message. The message is loud and clear. When, when Daniel looks at God, those, those beasts are not in comparison. Those beasts cannot stand up to God. Those beasts have no dominion or authority over God. So that's what's important for us to recognize, is that when we see this, this picture of God on the throne... This is what we need to be focusing on. Now, Daniel actually kind of misses this because he keeps circling back to the beasts and asking the meaning of his dream and, and the meaning especially of the fourth beast. But what we have to recognize is that in the middle of all of this, he has shown the throne room of God where God is distributing justice and he is also seeing a vision of the coming of the Son of Man. Notice what he says in verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came a man like one of a son of man. So first of all, this vision might have been at least a little confusing to him at first because he sees a son of man, that means human. But the son of man is brought before the ancient of days and he, ex he is exalted before the whole earth. He is put at the same authority level as the ancient of days. So that's a very interesting scene. And for Daniel, he might not have understood quite what it means. We have the benefit 
of actually having seen part of this prophecy fulfilled, we know that this Son of Man is Jesus. And we understand that Jesus was humbled and he was human. He was fully man, but he is also now fully God. That he went through the suffering on the cross. He was raised from the dead. And then we just studied in Philippians chapter 2 on Wednesday night that after this obedience to the point of death on the cross, that God highly exalted him, lifted him up, and gave him a name that's above every name. So we understand the vision that Daniel had, even if he might have struggled to understand its meaning, we do understand its meaning. For Daniel, any human exalted in such a way would have been strange, but we know that it is Jesus, and so that's important for us to remember. And Jesus has given dominion over all people. He was given a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That's the thing that, that we have to also remember about Daniel's perspective. Um, you know, he may not have been very old when he lived in in Judah. But he was old enough to see that kingdom destroyed. And Judah was not necessarily, you know, a, a, a kingdom that was fearsome among the nations, but there were some that had reason to believe that it would never be destroyed because of the temple and the presence of God. But once he was brought into Babylon and even brought into the leadership positions, you could imagine seeing at that particular time the greatest empire on the earth you might have understood it to be undefeatable. But Daniel saw it fall. He, he saw the decline of Babylon. And so for him, probably he knows that kingdoms fall. He knows that all nations fall. Eventually they all do. Some lose their power, but yet they, they remain for a time. So it is 2021 right now. So if we think back to... 1921. Think about how much land, how many colonies, how much power Great Britain held at that particular time. They would have had holdings all over Africa. They would have been in, in holding all of it, India at this particular time. They would have had colonies all over Asia. At this particular time, the sun would have never set on the empire of Great Britain. And now what do they hold? Much less. Much, much less. It's almost like their dominion has been taken away from them, but they've been allowed to last for a while. It's almost like exactly what God said is coming to pass. What we have to recognize is that all kingdoms eventually fall except the kingdom that is given to Jesus. That kingdom remains. So no matter what beasts this world throws at us, we have the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man to prevail against them. Very, very important that we recognize that and remember it for all times. And so this, the message of the vision, this, this is the conclusion. It's not called that, but just to kind of get us into the understanding of what does this actually mean. So there are some complex images in this passage. There are some things that might be a little confusing, um, but I believe that the simple message of this passage is something that any believer can understand. The world is evil. Its kingdoms will wage war and persecute the followers of God as long as they have power. That is not the good news you're hoping for, but it is true, and I do think that we see it as evidence in this passage. The next thing, we will temporarily be ruled by these beasts until the time that the Lord has appointed to act. Now, 
because we have the benefit of the New Testament, we understand why God delays. We understand why God is waiting. He is allowing the time, the, the mission that he gave to the church, he, he's allowing that mission to be completed. So we know why God is waiting. We understand that it is for the salvation of souls that God delays at this particular time. But until that point that he chooses to act, we will be ruled by beasts. The Ancient of Days will hold the beasts accountable for their actions and judge them accordingly. What a day when the mighty of the earth bow before the throne of God and are held accountable for their actions. Isn't that all we want sometimes is for our leaders to be held accountable? To everybody to be held to the same standard? Well, God will do that. We cannot expect the courts of man to do that. We cannot ex expect any of the agencies of mankind to bring true justice into this world. We want to see it. We long for it. it. It upsets us when we don't see it, but we can't expect it, but we can expect it from God. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will come to this earth and set up an eternal kingdom that can never be destroyed. This is a major point in this vision. It's not up in the beast. It's not about the beast part. It is about when the Son of Man comes. But what we have to remember is that this is the part that the angel majored on. This is the part that, that God gave to Daniel to show him this thing as well. This is the major thing. Jesus Christ is coming and He is going to set up a kingdom that can never be destroyed. Until that time, our lives will have trouble. That's, that's a given. But when that happens, uh, we will be in this eternal kingdom. So until that time, we are to live righteously, trust the Lord, share our hope, and look for His coming. There's no other way for us to make it through the difficulties than to have this hope. God knew that. God knew that we would need hope. Because we can't see what's ahead, but He can. So He gave us the glimpses that we need to know that we can have hope in the future. So the words that I have for you are not super encouraging in, in, in the right now. Is our government going to get better? No. Is any other government on the earth going to get better? No. They are the beasts. They are the beast. Whether, whether you say, well, this is a good nation and these are moral people, if they are not submitted to the lordship of God, they are the beasts. And is there any nation that is submitted to the lordship of God fully and completely? I don't think so. So they are the beast. What are we? We are the people that God has saved, that he has chosen, and that he will one day establish as his kingdom. In the meantime, we live for him. We live like Daniel lived. Daniel lived as an exile, but he lived righteously. He left an example. I'm sure he was willing to tell anybody why he had hope. But the reality is, even in those terrible times, with evil leaders, he found a way. We've got to find that way. Anybody that's interested in knowing why we have hope, we've got to tell them. And we just got to look for that day that Jesus comes. Whether it be sooner, whether it be later, we've got to look for that day. That is our hope. Our hope cannot be in mankind. Our hope has to be in Jesus Christ. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together for a few minutes. And I thank you for your word, which does provide us hope. It provides us a, a resolute vision for the future. We are now looking at a world ruled by the beasts that you have allowed dominion. But we are looking for that day when those beasts will be held accountable. They will be judged by you. They will be destroyed. And you will establish a kingdom. That kingdom is what we're looking for. Give us a vision for that kingdom, Lord. 
Give us the encouragement and the hope that we need to make it through these days. These days where the world turns against us. These days when the world curses you. Give us the vision of the kingdom that you will establish. Remind us when we need it that you will hold them accountable. That there will be justice one day. I thank you, Lord, that what you do is in the daylight. What you do is in the full vision of everyone. Because so much is done in secret, and those things that are done in secret are evil. But you will bring righteousness and justice into the light. You will show what is good and what is right. And those that are evildoers will finally have to confess that their works have been iniquities. And so, Father, I pray that we can hang on to hope, that we can stay strong in you, that we will never waver no matter what this world throws at us. Even if it gets worse than it is now, we know that we have you to trust in. Remind us of that and give us that strength as we go through what may be an even more difficult generation than people have faced in the past. Thank you, Lord, for this and help us to always be true to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.